Hi, everybody, and welcome to this new podcast. And with me today is Jodie Cook, a renowned entrepreneur and author from Birmingham in the UK. Hi, Jodie. Hello. Thanks for having me. Ah, thanks for joining. So in 2011, Jody started a digital agency, JC Social Media, and that was acquired in 2021. And Jody has featured repeatedly in Forbes Europe's 30 under 30 list of social entrepreneurs, right? Brilliant. And she is also an international powerlifter for Great Britain and won the 2021 English Championships. Alongside these achievements, Jodie co-found and co-wrote the Clever Types series of children's storybooks and is also a well-published business author and a regular contributor to Forbes on entrepreneurship. So Jodie, thanks a lot for joining me. I really appreciate this. Thank you for having me, Matt. Good to meet you. Thank you. So, uh, Jody, first question I think is pretty obvious from my side, which is, you no, know, you've really had a fascinating life. And what led you to start your own business and digital agency in 2011? And how did you grow the business to the point of, of selling it and exiting? Okay, so this whole story has three main phases. I would say I started a business with no real strategy. My business plan was two words, get clients. And that was it. And I just turned up to networking events. I decided I was going to be a social media manager because I'd heard that that was something that existed. I thought it might be fun. I'd done a bit of research into what that role might involve. And I just set myself the challenge of trying to get my first client. And then what I found is that when I had one client secured, that was kind of the hardest bit. And then it meant that I got two and three and then started building a business from there. Mm -hmm. And I was super naive at the start. I just would turn up to stuff. Say I was social media manager. When people wanted to speak to me, I would follow them up and chase them up and just keep trying to talk to them until they signed up with me. And that was my very green strategy that turned out working. But what I realized is that I had accidentally done something that I now teach and tell people that they should do themselves which is have one flagship product or service that you know is in demand that stands up to testing that is a really good product or service Mm -hmm. have one customer avatar so um one like customer base who you know them inside out you know their pains and problems and you know that your flagship product or service speaks to those problems And then have one way of reaching them, just one, not a million different channels, a million different ways of reaching them, but one. And so mine was social media management to marketing managers of SMEs found through networking. So it really was that simple. Mm. The second milestone and the second kind of phase was realizing that I couldn't take a holiday because Mm. I built this business, which I first started because I wanted flexibility. I wanted to travel and to work from anywhere. But then I was a couple of years in, I had a whole team of people and I realized that the business was so unbelievably reliant on me that I was stuck and I just couldn't do anything else because I just thought, well, I won't have a business when I come back. So even though I had a team, they were all very much reliant on me. I was the bottleneck to the business and I affectionately refer to it as the Jody show because I really was in the center of everything so this kind of phase started changing as soon as I made a spreadsheet 
wrote down all the processes that happened within my business mm. and then figured out a way of delegating or automating or just eliminating every process that was on that spreadsheet so that I could finally take a holiday. Mm-hmm. So what I didn't realize at the time was this was turning my business from being something that was very reliant on me to something that very wasn't reliant on me. Mm. And it opened up this, this series of us growing me being able to live a life at the same time, but also a business that I I could kind of run as a lifestyle business. So travel Mm. started becoming a bigger part of the plan. I started traveling for one month in every three, knowing full well that the whole team was looking after everything and the business was growing and it didn't actually need me. So Mm. that required moving ego aside, letting go of the need to be needed and mm. being happier with the feeling that other people can look after stuff yeah so, hey, Jody, how how did that feel to you because you must have you know you've obviously built the business it's obviously your thing and then you know you're almost beginning the process of letting go of it and at the same time letting it run without you did you feel like a detachment or maybe even some loss there or i'm just curious what would happen is the problems that I would get called upon to put out would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. And that's what I wanted. So I didn't want the, you know, an inquiry that came through that someone said, oh, this is going to need a different approach. I would say, well, this is the approach that we should use for this. And this is what we use in the future. And then that's what they do. And so that was never run by me again. It was just taken care of by someone in the team. And then eventually it became other people were looking after problems up to a certain level and then they asked me and then I came up with an answer or I coached them into the answer and then we created a process for it and it kept going from there so I really enjoyed it I felt like most business owners don't have that progression for themselves but I'd sort of created that progression for myself because I was so determined that the problems that I was solving and the fires that I was putting out just had to get bigger because I didn't want the small ones anymore. No, that absolutely makes sense. And you mentioned there was a third phase after that. Yeah, so the problems got very... So the problems that I was called upon to put out got bigger. And probably the biggest problem happened in March 2020, which was coronavirus, as we all know. And so with that, what I realised is that you can create process documents, you can create SOPs, you can have a manual for everything that runs in your business. But when something like that happens, there is no precedent, there is no manual, there's not like, oh, yeah, this has happened. Okay, we know what to do. It's like, Jody, what do we do? So I went from being very not involved to being so unbelievably involved that it almost felt like I was back at the beginning again, and I was running the Jody show. So we went from emailing our list maybe once or twice a year to emailing them every day we went from me not being the kind of public face of the company really to being on webinars on sales calls doing stuff all the time and um from the week in March 2020 when coronavirus first hit and from when the UK first went into lockdown Mm. we then lost 25% of our entire client base in one week And that was from clients who were in travel, hospitality and events who were having a much worse time than us, but it still knocked on to us to the whole team rallying together, going above and beyond, putting everything in place and being so resourceful that we managed to grow back to normal. And then another 20 percent in the next four months. So 
it was at the end of that crazy summer, the craziest I've ever worked. I think I tried to, I tried to outwork coronavirus and I tried to take the fear away from my team because I knew mm. that no one does their best work when they're scared. Mm. And of course they knew, they figured out what was going on and they responded by also outworking coronavirus and also coming up with all these crazy ideas. So it was in August, 2020 that I just thought, what do I want to do here? Because I could go back to what I was doing before and just kind of run it as a lifestyle business, travel a lot, have the business, but not really be super involved. Mm. Or I could do more of the execution and I could get back very, very much and grow it to an even bigger level. But there was just something that made me think, I don't think I want to do either of those things. Mm. This was the business I started at 22 and I was now 32 and I was like, I feel like a different person. Is this the business I would have started from scratch now? Probably not. But also I didn't want to get tapped on the shoulder again for a big pandemic. And Mm -hmm. given how amazing the team had been, I felt like going back to the lifestyle business stuff was kind of doing them a disservice. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's when I was like, now is the time to sell. And that's when I put the wheels in motion to make that happen. And Mm. then that process was pretty straightforward spoke to someone who knew what you would do if you were just going to sell your business she put me on someone else he put me on someone else and I got introduced to the broker that would help us sell mm-hmm. wow no, I think you're absolutely right with the exit because not only would it have been a disservice to your team but also for all the work that you had done in extracting yourself from everything working around you it's actually putting in place processes delegating to people let them develop their skills and their identity and their capabilities so um, I mean this resonates so much with me because every time I teach entrepreneurship I'm trying to emphasize the point that you can't have the business fully reliant on one single entrepreneur you want to tap into the entrepreneurial the managerial skills throughout the entire business and it's great to see that evolution in your business and see how that came about yeah I think especially by the end I had people in my team who were better than me at what they were doing they were at sales at delivery at speaking to clients all that stuff like they were yeah they were awesome so it wasn't even like I was needed especially Mm -hmm. um which was nice which was a good a good thing rather than a bad thing (laughs) So with all that in mind, then, what would you highlight as some of the three key pieces of advice you would give to entrepreneurs to achieve success? Or what are maybe the three pitfalls that you would encourage them to, you know, this is what you really need to look out for when when you're thinking of starting a business or even just running a business? So in terms, great question, by the way, in in terms of the advice, I would say the first one is be wary of the advice that you take so mm-hmm. if whoever is giving you advice and advice is everywhere you could get it from every friend every family member everyone you pass on the street you could ask someone what you should do and they will give you an answer and it might not be right for you so mm-hmm. if anyone's trying to give you advice I would say do they get you do they get what you're trying to achieve are they are they projecting their mistakes or their happiness onto you rather than thinking about Mm. what you want? Because it might be that someone's trying to avoid you making a mistake they made, or it might be that someone's so happy with their life that they want you to live their life too. Mm -hmm. And that just might mean that it's not the right advice for you. So I would say for sure, take it on board, but have some filters that you put in place first because it might not be relevant at all. And it definitely Mm. might not be relevant to you second piece of advice I would say is 
find your tribe. So somehow, however you do it, find people who get you, whether they're a little bit further behind, whether they're on the same level or whether they're a little bit further ahead. I think normalizing, hanging out with other entrepreneurs who are doing that entrepreneur roller coaster will just be a game changer. Mm. So I think that if you are an entrepreneur, you're probably used to being the odd one out in a lot of different situations. Mm. But sometimes you don't want to be the odd one out. You just want to be among peers and you want to be able to talk to people about the different challenges that you're going through because you can't talk to your team about it and you don't know that your friends and family will get it. They may, maybe they do, but maybe they won't. So it's like find your tribe mm-hmm. in the, um, in my new book, 10 year career, there's a companion course and it we put together a whole list of entrepreneur networks for this very reason to find other people who get it, get the journey mm-hmm. and who you, you can kind of go through problems with um i'd say first before you find your tribe become your tribe so become Mm -hmm. your ideal tribe member like show up as the person who you really really are Mm -hmm. and then you'll probably find that you become magnetic to the type of people that you always wish that you meet Mm -hmm. yeah it says a lot about you know your own sense of identity you know not just your professional self but then your entrepreneurial self and also I guess being fairly authentic to that projecting the person you want to be and then and then living in those shoes right so yeah I think those are really helpful thoughts especially I mean being an entrepreneur I find talking to especially those entrepreneurs launching a business the first time or having ideas a lot of them don't even want to call themselves entrepreneurs because they think it's this false persona that they're an imposter is imposter syndrome and Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but i think your point there about you know try and find like-minded people think about who would be your tribe who who you identify with and then you know circulate with those people because i think that will help solve your first point which is you know make sure you get good advice but don't trust every advice and don't make assumptions that it will carry over for you so i think again being in that kind of tribe is a filter in and of itself, so to speak. I think you know that you have found your perfect tribe member when you don't have to censor yourself before you speak. Mm. When mm. the the gap between you thinking of what to say and saying it is so tiny because yeah. you know that you can just show up as you and you don't have to mm. you don't have to pretend to be anyone that you're not. That's when you found your tribe. Mm-hmm. Cool, fantastic. Do you think there are maybe a couple of pitfalls that you've done or ran into um, during your career that you would say, actually, you know, people should be aware of these things? Yeah, there are three. Mm-hmm. So one of them, well, there are two of that they're biases and the third one's a fallacy. So addition bias. Mm. I'm fascinated with this. So it's our tendency to add rather than subtract. Ah, so whenever we're okay. feeling overwhelmed, whenever we're out of kilter, it's often because we need to do less, not do more. But we probably respond by saying, oh, I need a holiday. I need a spa break. I need to do this extra thing. I need to do this extra project. But really, it's like, no, take away. Stop doing the stuff. And so that's falling for addition bias. But you can mm. you can avoid falling for that bias if you default to subtracting rather than adding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, Confirm- by the way, 100% at fault with that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure. i think we all are, I we add all too are. Much. yeah yeah no you're right yeah, I mean, I, it, it's the nature of human beings i think to you know want to show that they're doing a lot and please people and you know achieve and things like that but 
I think there's a fantastic point to you know don't always think of adding, but you know, I, I like to use the phrase addition by subtraction. So yeah. you, you remove something so you can do something else better. Um, so I think yeah, great point. Yeah, I think. I remember really hating meetings when I was running a company. And I think it's because meetings often are geared towards adding. So someone will have an idea and then someone will say, oh, who's going to do that? And it's all about assigning tasks and doing mm. more. Whereas you want to have a meeting where it's like, well, you don't even want to have a meeting, but if you're going to have a meeting, you want it to be, what can we not do? What are we doing that is just not working? How can we take it away? And how can we do more of what is working? Mm. That's a good meeting, but they very rarely happen like that. True. So um, the second pitfall is confirmation bias. So mm. having someone having a belief or a theory that they feel is true to the point that they are collecting evidence for it being mm. true to support it rather than listening to evidence that it might not be true mm. and I'm a really big fan of tunnel vision and I'm a really big fan of focusing working out what matters and then just doing that but if it's ignoring evidence and ignoring other information to the detriment of your current plan then I think it's a really bad thing mm. so there's so many paradoxes in entrepreneurship but one of them is that you need to be tunnel vision on what you're doing but still open to a better way of doing it all at the same time which is a minefield but it can be done mm-hmm. yeah not sure it's um talking to you know especially people with business ideas what you'll often find is that they they become really rom- romanticized their idea and they become so you know really embedded in it that not only do they go look for new information to back it up but they kind of dismiss any noises that they don't necessarily want to hear so I think that kind of confirmation bias coupled with addition bias is probably one reason why a lot of entrepreneurs keep going down lots of different alleyways without ever settling into something that really, you know, evolves into a full-blown business. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Just make, making mistakes, being distracted and just not really staying on track. Mm-hmm. Well, this is similar to so the third pitfall is a rival fallacy. Hmm. Because the fallacy says that we believe that when we reach this destination, when we achieve this goal, we will have lasting happiness. But it really mm. is a fallacy because mm. once we get there, we it's a new normal. It becomes just the, the new benchmark and the goalposts move. So we never really arrive. We just always think we are, but it's so easy to be like, oh, when I get that big client signed or when I start my new job or when I move house or when I'm in Lisbon or when I've sold my agency. But so we defer happiness to this point in the future that is never really going to arrive because Mm. let's face it, all that we're really hurtling towards is just death, nothing else. (laughs) So it's like avoiding arrival fallacy means just focusing on the journey and Mm. and every tiny little move in the journey and thinking of the effort as as the reward not the destination that you're one day going to reach so for me this is about trying to love the mundane instead of the big celebratory things that are just easy to love I think it's harder to love Mm. the effort but that's where that's that's a really good thing to do you, you mentioned process earlier, so I guess it's enjoying the process and you know, really getting a lot out of that personally, not, not, as you say, not just the destination. A good, yeah. really good friend of mine, he, has, um, he constantly tells me to don't postpone joy. 
Like, okay, nice. Yeah. I'm yeah. more and more beginning to understand what he means by that. And I think what you've just said has reinforced that to me as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a really nice line. I like that. Good. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned your, your new book, so 10-Year Career. Um, you've launched that recently. And I'm going to just highlight something that was not particularly difficult to miss because I saw this on the, uh, the cover of the book. There's a nice little quote or testimony there that says that every future millionaire needs this wise perspective. So why is that? What, what do you think is like the key value in 10-year career in, in your new book? So that line was written by Derek Sivers, who also wrote the foreword for the book. And he is another entrepreneur and author, but he sold his business CD Baby for $22 million and then he gave it all away. So um, he's wow. a very good example of someone who is a millionaire, um, has a wise perspective himself and reads a lot. So, um, so yeah, he's a perfect person to have on the front of the cover. But he... Um, the three things that I think are why every future every, every future millionaire needs this wise perspective are self-awareness, focus and intention, which are three huge areas that we talk about in the book. So, so self-awareness, who you are, what you want, what you're good at, what you're bad at, what the best version of you looks like, what the tired mm. or anxious version of you looks like from all of the successful I guess people who I've met or interviewed or heard of they all have this insane sense of self-awareness so mm. I believe it's really important and it's talked about a lot in the book the second one of focus is this appreciation that you could do a million things and you could very likely make a success of a million things but just not all at the same time mm. and I know that opportunities just fly at you you can't do them all and nor should you want to do them all but the people who are going to make the future millionaires are the ones who pick one and follow through with that one mm -hmm. and then the intention part of it is actually making stuff happen so making mm -hmm. the plans and doing the work and asking the questions and I, I don't think this happens naturally for everyone I mm -hmm. think that most most people are not super self-aware they flex their identity depending on who's around or they're not focused and they flex their focus depending on what comes up like the notifications on their phone for example mm. and then maybe they're not intentional because they're vaguely wishing that something would happen and they're making really small steps to make it happen but not the big ones that really make a difference so it's a combination of those three things that are talked about in the book a lot that I think is why that quote is on the front cover that makes a lot of sense, a fantastic sense. I mean, one of the things that jumped into my mind while you were detailing those things is how, you know, being a good entrepreneur is not just about being able to spot the opportunities and going after those opportunities. You've also got to be a pretty good manager to be able to, you know, execute on those opportunities, take advantage of them effectively, develop a business that will, you know, grow uh, with it and, and not just, you know, sink the opportunity, so to speak. So, I think there's a good element to that and that can I, th I think going back to what you were saying earlier about when you were growing JC social media is that the importance of the team the team around you and how you can leverage them so that they can take on some of those roles but even become better than you in some cases because yeah. it, it can't rely on the entrepreneur themselves it's it would be like a linchpin and you take that linchpin out and the whole thing falls apart but that's 
what we all want to avoid when becoming entrepreneurs, because it, as you say, it shouldn't need to rely solely on you because they'll just exhaust you and consume every every minute that you have. So, so it's good to see how I can see how these things are lining up from your experience with social media and the lessons in the book. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. And also just to make clear, they didn't line up at the time. Mm. They're only lining up because I'm looking back and seeing the patterns. But oh, yeah. at the time sure. yeah. you have you, like being running your own business is crazy because you have to just believe that you're going to make it a success, but you don't really know, but you have mm. to act as if you're going to. Mm. So it didn't line up looking forward at all. It was mm. all a big fuzzy mess in the future, but now I'm like, Oh, that made sense. And this is why that happened. So yeah, makes a lot of sense looking yeah. back. I think so. It's the, the, you know, everyone talks about the secret sauce. So that kind of makes sense always when you're looking back. Right. So I think it's important that, you know, you can reflect on that process and you can, tease out what is really important for people that have that kind of ambition that that want to you know really change their life or move into entrepreneurship or even just to, to improve what they do in in the workplace so my final question because when i was reading your book it really drew parallels for me so for what one of the things that fascinated me is how it reminds me of lessons in essentialism by greg mckeon and Things like defining success on your terms, in your way, and not what it means to somebody else. Achieving more meaningful things by doing less. Uh, taking control of your life without it or the business running you, as you were saying. And looking back, do you think there were specific moments in life where the, the lessons really struck you? And this, does this maybe relate to your background with competitive sports and or even all the other things that you do, because you you do so much and not just, you know, the, the agency that you developed as well. I think there are definitely parallels between these messages and sport, especially mm. powerlifting, because so I compete in powerlifting and anyone who's not familiar with the sport, it's a combination of three lifts so it's the squat the bench press and the deadlift and if you're a power lifter all that matters is what you can lift for one rep on each of those three disciplines that's all that matters nothing else matters mm -hmm. but there was a time last year where I was not seeing the progress I really wanted to see with powerlifting, and so I started incorporating other areas of sport into what I was doing and mm -hmm. fixating on improving in those different areas so for me, it was pull-ups and weighted pull-ups because I've looked at what the world record was and I've tried to put more onto the, <laughs> I tried to put more weight on and do more pull-ups. And then it was how good my abs looked because I decided that I wanted to have good abs. And then it was my 5K time because I decided I wanted to make that better. Mm. And so I was working quite a lot on improving each of these three things and getting really excited about progressing them. Mm. And then I was like, hang on a sec this doesn't matter at all. Why am I progressing these peripheral goals when all that matters is my squat, my bench and my deadlift? And I had to yeah. really check myself and say, hang on, you need to stop doing this. So mm. I think it's probably something that we are all guilty of sometimes. We, we create our goals. We say we want them. We believe we want them. Mm. And then the actions that we're taking aren't contributing to those goals they're contributing to other goals and it doesn't make sense and it's incongruent and it's never going to go well mm -hmm. so for me the check was 
what are my goals? What am I doing every day to contribute to these goals? What, where do I think I'm acting in accordance with them, but I'm actually not? And where am I doing other things or making excuses or just letting other things get in the way? Because I think it's madness and it needed to stop for me. So it's talked about in the book a lot, working out what you want, working out how to get it, removing everything else and just being honest with yourself about how you're spending your time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinking about that, it's, I think it's really interesting how people do set goals for themselves, but don't necessarily know what those goals are trying to actually achieve, if you know what I mean. It's it, you know, what you were describing as, you know, for powerlifting, you ultimately know the three things that you need, but then you can get distracted by other goals and other achievements. I mean, I, I know I definitely do. And I think, you know, looking back, many entrepreneurs that I've talked to, family businesses, similar things where there are different goals that are competing goals, but it's not just setting the goals in the first place. It's how do you bring yourself back onto those goals and, and keep focused because it's so easy to then add in, you know, these additional extra sub goals that you could go after so I think that's really really interesting lesson there about because it's not just for your personal life it's for business as well the goal setting process is the same so the distractions can equally be the same like every time you say I want you have to Mm. have the plan as well like I want to start a business okay what are you going to do to start it Mm. or I want to take a holiday okay well how are you going to make sure your business can survive while you're away and For every single I want, they has, there has to be a plan. And it sounds so obvious, but I think so many of us aren't doing it. I'll pull your leg on that one and say that the plan for starting a business is just get clients. So Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it is. It can be simple. Yeah. Jody, this has been a fantastic talk. Thank you so much. And it'd be remiss of me if I didn't highlight your book. So 10-year career available, I'm guessing, worldwide and in all all famous online and offline bookstores, certainly on Amazon, because that's where I was looking <laughs> for a copy. Yeah, so, yep, that's right. Fantastic. Do you see yourself maybe doing a sequel in time? Oh, like three-year career, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but now not. The 10-year career was super important because yeah. it was everything I learned in 10 years of running a business and mm-hmm building it and then selling it and it was like I wanted to write this as the blueprint the kind of framework for how someone else could do exactly that and I feel like it's doing its job so yeah I'm excited for everyone to read it it's at 10yearcareer.com if you want to check it out and there's a quiz on there which I think is super good as well to help you understand and help you set your goals think about what you want to achieve how you can get there so I, I think the resources you put around this book is not just the book itself, the quiz, the guides that you have are so good. So I can thoroughly, for anybody listening, very happy to recommend it. I mean, for me, it, it dovetails. I spent the summer reading Essentialism and that was recommended to me by one of my other podcast guests. Uh, we didn't mention it in the podcast. We were just talking and it really helped open my mind. And so when I was looking at your book and extracting some of the lessons, I thought, these help a lot for me personally, who, you know, likes to say yes to everything, likes to, you know, gets a lot of sense of self, sense of worth from work. And it really helped me to think, actually, no, take a step back, think about what you want, define success for yourself. So I think, you know, for me, the lessons of your book are just fantastic. And I I very happily recommend it to entrepreneurs. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. That's really cool. I'm so happy you liked it. Yeah, also, 
the the book's got a framework the 10-year career framework and it's it's four steps and it's execute systemize scrutinize and then exit and interestingly I think the essentialism and the kind of doing less framework the doing less mantra definitely Mm. applies to the last three phases but I think in execute it's almost where you want to be you want to be busy you want to be doing everything you want to be saying yes to everything because you're kind of seeing what works Mm. and throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks but Mm. then after that it's like now you know what sticks and now you know what works this is where to chill out and this is where to subtract and this is where to say no to more Mm. stuff um but it's like the the advice thing we were taking we were talking about earlier there's a time and a place for every piece of advice and for every action as well yeah i think just one thing to highlight is your point about exit the fact that you even have exit in the model is so crucial because i think we all lose track of okay well what's the end what's our ultimate end game you know what do we want to get to and i think for entrepreneurs in particular it's it's okay i'm creating this business i'm running this business but where do you want to get to? What's your end game? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget to think about what their exit is and often end up with a fairly weak exit at the end because they have, they've never planned for what that may want to be. And that's ultimately the time you realize your investment. So I think yeah. having that so clear in the framework is such a well-positioned thing because it's so often overlooked. Yeah, I see it as we have plans in place to progress our team members and we we know what their appraisals look like and we progress them along this ladder. But where's our ladder? Where's the one that happens for the person who started the business? Because that matters too. And if you're going to stay away from losing motivation or getting burnt out, then your plan needs to be in place. And I think that the 10-year career framework is, is the plan. Yeah. Thank you, Jody. And again, wish you great success with your book. And certainly it's available on Amazon. I know that because I've, I've seen it and I ordered it. So that's all good. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Matt. See you later.